Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for today, for this morning, for the sunshine, and the chance that we get to wake up and get to come to worship you, even if we don't always feel like it. Um, you're consistent, and you're here, and you hear us, and you're in this place, and, and we come to you now, and we just continue to worship you. What a beautiful set of songs, of testimony that we got to be a part of this morning with these children, these babies, with these songs, these words that we can sing. It's just not just empty lyrics, but it is truth. You're faithful. You're faithful. Your son, Jesus Christ, has a name that is beautiful because of what he's done. And we, we worship you, God. And now, God, as we turn to the, the word, we pray that you would continue to encourage and speak to us. We want to hear from you. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. You would convict and encourage and teach us, God, no matter what our situation in life is, what stressors, what struggles, whatever it is that we bring into the room this morning, God, that you would penetrate that and you would speak to us clearly, even though we struggle. And so, God, as we wrap up the book of Ephesians, I pray that you would use it for your glory for your kingdom, for our good. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We're wrapping up the book of Ephesians uh, this morning. It's been a lot of fun to just slowly walk through this book and to, to see what is Paul telling us about who we are in Christ. And as I was wrapping it up, kind of going through these last couple of verses, um, reading about this battle that we are in, spiritually fighting against Satan and what he's doing against us, I was brought back to my days of youth ministry. I was a youth pastor for over a decade. Um, and one of the things when, when you're a youth pastor is that you do things that youth like to do. Even if you don't enjoy doing those things, you by default do those things. And one of those activities that I played over the years many, many times was paintball. You would get a group of middle school boys, you'd hand them a semi-automatic weapon, <laughs> load it with paint bullets that would shoot 200 miles per hour. You'd let them go in the woods and say, go shoot everyone. Let it go. And it was chaotic. Watching these middle school boys shoot run, get hit, fall on the ground, weep, and go after everyone until everybody was eliminated. And I was just there for the ride. And so we did all these events for many years because boys love to go paintballing. But then we did an event that changed my perspective on paintball. One year we decided to do an event called a father-son paintball event. And so we're where I lived before we moved here was in Washington, D.C., and our church was primarily a military church, so probably about three-fourths of our congregation, yeah, you know where this is going, 
three-fourths of our church, lieutenants and generals and commanders, and I mean, these guys were military guys. And I remember this so clearly, pulling into the parking lot, and it looked like I had stepped back into a war movie. I'm watching these fathers. They come out of their car, camo, earpieces, goggles, maps, strategies. I'm like, what is this? And so we, the whole game was completely different than when I was leading it. Again, I would just say, hey, go shoot, have fun, don't, don't, don't get hurt. These dads had such specific strategy on what we were doing. I was told specifically where to go. I was told specifically what call would be made when it was time to approach the next bunker. I was given an angle to cover. And this game, it wasn't even fun. It was like real life. Like, <laughs> and I remember playing this game, and I remember quit how quickly the games would end, because it depended completely on the strategy, and how you would quickly, the team with the better strategy, with the better leader, would quickly neutralize the, per, the team that you were going against. And as I was reflecting on the two different styles of playing paintball, and I'm reading Ephesians 6, I'm realizing that we are called to be strategic, strategic as we fight up against the person that's coming against us. And this is the perfect ending to Ephesians. Like, it fits so perfectly together, because up to this point, it's all been about what Christ has done for you. Christ has taken you. It tells us in Ephesians 1 that you were, by, you were children of wrath by nature. You were against God and in Christ. He has made you his son and his daughter. That by, because of what Christ has done, this is what he's done for you. And then we get to Ephesians 6 and it says that is amazing. That truth is life changing, but that's not where it ends. You have to be a soldier. You have to fight up against the enemy who's trying to get you to forget what Christ has done for you. And so we talked about it last week. We, We start to think about the spiritual world and it makes us a little nervous. Like, what is he talking about? Like, I don't buy this. This whole spiritual battle that someone is raging war against me to cause me to forget what Christ has done, like that just makes me nervous. I don't get that. But quickly we realize if we look at our world, we read God's word, that the the fight that we're fighting is invisible. It's a spiritual battle against us. As we look at the world, as we look in our lives, I think if we're honest, we would be able to say that there is spiritual things coming up against us, things that can't be explained other than that there is something that is spiritual, Satan himself, that is coming up against us. I, uh, someone had recommended a book to me, a movie just came out on this same book called Beautiful Boy, and it was, it's a really awful, sad, uh, devastating book and movie about a family that is... Um, devastated in the wake of drug addiction, crystal meth. And it's the saddest thing to watch and to, to read about this family 
and the devastation that comes with addiction. Because it's just so real. I mean, there is no sugarcoating what this family experiences. And what happens in the book is that the dad um, starts to investigate crystal meth. And he starts to do research on what this is. And what he finds, he is amazed by. That this drug was perfectly made to lower your sense of goodness or care for other people. But yet at the same time, it raises you just to be impulsive. And what he finds is this perfectly crafted drug to cause major destruction because of what it does to you internally. And this dad was, is an atheist. And there was a line that's quoted about this father. And as he's, even though he's an atheist, and as he's doing this research on this drug, there's this line that stuck out to me. It says, I don't believe in God yet, but only the devil can create a drug like this. The spiritual world is it's around us. Like we can see the impact and the effect of it. We may not understand it all, but if we look at the devastation of the world, we would have the same conclusion. Something deeper is happening here. Not just bad choices. Someone is causing this devastation. And so in Ephesians 6, we're being told how to do battle, how to fight up against this this war that's coming at us. And so that's what we talked about last week. We just got started with the first piece of armor. Before we dive into the, the rest of the chapter, just a couple of things that looking at the armor. A couple of uh, reminders are good things to know. Okay, first of all, Paul, sometimes we, we read Ephesians 6. It's a popular passage, and we envision, this is what we envision happening. Paul is in prison. He's looking out his prison cell, and he sees a Roman centurion. And he sees the prison, he, see, or he sees what he's wearing, the breastplate and the helmet, and that Paul, as he's writing, is thinking about this person that he's seeing. But what's interesting is that that's not what Paul is doing. Paul is referring back to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 is where we get this description from, where Isaiah is looking over all of Israel, and he's saying, who's going to save us the word he uses in Isaiah 55 is who is Isaiah 59? Who is going to intercede for us with this mess that we've made? This pain that we've created. And, and as Isaiah is looking over Israel, he says, Nobody can save us. No one can do something about the mess that we are in because of our sin and our choices. And then he prophesies, he said, Someone is coming from God. And he is going to wear a breastplate of righteousness. He is going to come with a shield of faith. And what we see is that Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who's going to come. And he is going to wear the armor on our behalf. And so for us, just as we think about Ephesians 6, I think it is helpful or wise to just remember this. This is about Christ. Like Christ wore the armor first. 
And for us, as we look at our enemies, it's easy to just to start all these people or these thoughts or these things, these trials, these struggles are coming up against me. People are against me. It's easy to get focused on ourselves. But if we can remember that this actually, the context is that this is Christ. Christ is the one that wore the, the armor first. And that it's the enemies of Christ first. It helps us. It encourages encourages us to know that the enemies aren't our enemies. They're Christ's enemies. I remember when I was talking to my big brother long ago, long ago, and I remember I was telling him about these, these, this is, this is, why am I sharing this, this embarrassing story? I, I just thought about it, right, as I'm about to say it. This is, this is embarrassing, but okay. I remember when I was a kid, and I was this scrawny middle school kid, and these guys would pick on me, and they were mean to me. They would make fun of me, and I just was so bothered by this. And I remember, you know, my brother, big brother, five years older than me, we didn't get along. Like, we, he didn't help me. We didn't talk about these things. He was my brother. Like, he would punch me and say, yeah, you deserve it. Like, <clears throat> but I remember the moment that my big brother said, it's not going to happen anymore. Like, those people who are up against you are now up against me. And for me, it was empowering to know, to realize that, okay, I've got someone with me now who is saying, now you're my enemies. And I remember the the life that it gave me. And for us in Ephesians 6, it's what David does in the gospel, or in the Psalms, realizing that My enemies aren't my enemies. My enemies are Christ's enemies. David, in the Psalms, is constantly being attacked by these people who are against him, his own family trying to kill him. And David, in the Psalm 68, says, May God arise, may his enemies be scattered. Where David finally realizes, he says, not my enemies be scattered. May your enemies, God, be scattered. And he realizes perspective that God is in front of him and with him. And so for us, I think it's important. I also think it's important for us not to over-allegorize this passage. Okay? Over-allegorize. What happens is, is we get a passage like this, and we can kind of get really just excited, like, talking about the breastplate or the shoes or the helmet. And what we can do is we can take it and we can take it too far. We can allegorize or, or apply it in so many ways that Paul wasn't intentionally trying to get us to do. Okay, we want to stick with the big picture. Like, what's the heart of what Paul is doing? I remember thinking about this. I was reading 1 Thessalonians. And Paul is talking about the armor of God. But what threw me was, what threw me was, was the what attributes he associated with the pieces of armor. First Thessalonians, he says, the breastplate, which we know is what in Ephesians 6? Your righteousness. But you know what Paul calls it in First Thessalonians 5? Not righteousness. He calls it faith. And I, I don't, I think the point is, is don't get stuck on the pieces of the armor. I think it's significant. I think they're significant. There's things we can learn from each piece of the armor, but we don't want to take it too far. Paul switches it up in 1 Thessalonians. 
we want to understand what is Paul telling us about fighting this battle against Satan. Okay, the big idea in Ephesians 6 is this. Satan is coming for your mind. He is coming for how you think. That's what he's doing. The, the, the pieces that he is throwing at you is dealing with what you know, how you think, how you process things. And if you could picture our in Christ boxes over here. He wants us to forget, to not know, to not understand these truths. And so knowing the big idea, it is a battle of our mind, really. If you go through each and everything, it is a battle in our brains for what we think. And uh, being in this place of my life, this next illustration will make a little bit of sense with the movie Lion King. Hey, I love that movie. You're watching Lion King, and you're watching what Scar is doing to Simba. Scar doesn't touch Simba. Right? Scar consistently, all the time, is speaking to him, saying, you're not loved. Why would your dad say you can't go there? Constantly feeding him lies over and over again. You're not respected. You're not loved. Why would he say you can't go there? You can go there. You can handle that on and on until there's destruction. There's death. And then what does Scar start doing? Accusing. Like, who are you? Why would you do that? Do you think you're welcome here now? You need to get out of here. He doesn't touch him. And so Simba flees all the while. Scar's strategy, it is in the mind. It's with the accusations. That's what Satan is doing against us. And so we talked about the foundation. I'll put it up on the screen this is, these five truths should be the, always in front of us. Realizing, as scary as it is, to know that Satan is defeated. That in Christ, we are vic- victors. We've won the battle because of the blood of Christ. We have nothing to be worried about. And so this is our foundation. And then we can start in Ephesians 6, 14. I'll read it here. It'll be up on the screen. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Last week we started with truth. And we must be centered on and grounded in truth. This is the belt that everything else hinges on. Satan wants us to believe lies. He goes in verse 14, and he says, Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. If you're taking notes, write these two phrases down. 
Trust righteousness, live in righteousness. Trust righteousness, live in righteousness. Okay, the breastplate. You put it on to protect your heart. Depending how much money you had, it would affect what kind of breastplate you would have. But the focus was, we have to protect the heart. Trust righteousness. How has God worked? This goes back to just the beginning of what the gospel message is. What is the gospel? How has God worked in the world today? The Bible tells us that the standard, kind of the line that He sets for how we live our lives, to have a relationship with Him, the line, the bar that we have to live up to, He tells us our righteousness has to be completely perfect. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think has to be perfect if we're going to be in relationship with the perfect God of the world. Matthew tells us, or Jesus tells us in Matthew, he says, let me take the law, let me all the laws, the 600 laws, all these laws in the Old Testament, I'm going to boil it down to two. Just keep these two laws. Simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The standard is perfection. But then the only law that we've got to be perfect in is those two laws. Love, love God with everything you are perfectly. And love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. How quickly, if we were to do assessment, an assessment based on those ideas, how do we match up? How do we line up? What would we say? We come up way short. Way short, all of us. That's the line. We're way down here. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Like, think about how much time and energy and effort we put into caring for ourselves. And in that same energy, we're supposed to spend on caring for the people around us. Like, we realize pretty quickly that the, the line is here. We fall short. That's discouraging. But then we learn a phrase that is life-changing. And it's a theological phrase, but I think it's a very good one to know. And it's this idea of imputed righteousness. Oh yeah, sorry, we just went there. Imputed righteousness. This is the idea that someone else is giving you, ascribing to you, covering you in something that they have. That's imputation. I give you something that's not yours. I cover you with something that's not, it's not something you have. And for us, it's righteousness. Christ gives us his righteousness. Even though we're not right, we do unright things. We aren't righteous, but we are given righteousness, not because we're righteous, because he has chosen to give us righteousness by faith in who he is. This changes everything. But here's the struggle. What happens is, is we believe we, we start to believe that our standing with God is based on our righteousness. And this is what he's saying. Believe in righteousness. You cover your heart and you cover your mind with this idea of imputation. That Christ made you righteous. That you aren't righteous. 
Your standing with God is not based on what you do, thankfully. But your standing with God is based on what Christ has done. And he's saying, protect yourself with that truth. Because here's what Satan's going to do. He's going to try to come to you and say, your standing with God should be based on what you do, and you're a failure. How do you think you line up with that line? You're a failure. But when we protect ourselves with righteousness, it's saying, no, submit, hold on to the fact that it is Christ's righteousness that protects us, that keeps us. I'll say it again. You're standing before God has nothing to do with what you've done, but what Christ has done for you. That's protecting yourself with righteousness. And in that righteousness, in that truth, it changes how we go to God. Right? Hebrews 10 talks about us running to God, drawing near to God, as opposed to what we, do, what we sometimes feel now, which is, like, I just, I'm a mess up. Like how, I kind of like feel weird going to God because I just did this and I did this. And it's like, no, no, you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. Run to him. Draw near to him. But that's not all he's saying with the breastplate of righteousness. He keeps it general here because I think he wants to apply it both ways. You're covered by the righteousness of Christ, but that's not it. Because you're covered in the righteousness of Christ, pursue righteousness in your daily life. Live in righteousness. The word righteousness, when you look at it, it has to do with relationships, business dealings, integrity, purity. And he's saying, if you don't want Satan to mess with you, live righteously. Treat people right. Don't steal from them. Don't lie to them. Live in integrity. Live in purity, complete purity. The moment we start to take shortcuts on these things, little steps here, little steps there, Look at this, do this, cut this corner, save this, do this. That's when Satan comes in and he's saying, that's exactly what I want you to do. We are to live in righteousness. The next one, verse 15, shoes for your feet. Readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes for your feet. In college, I had an interesting roommate. I Be, be careful. I had a nice roommate, um, different personalities, and, and one of the things that he would do is he would set his alarm very early, and if you do this, well, I'm coming up against this idea right now, you, but he would set his alarm hours early, not like I'm setting it when I need to get up, like I feel like it's a normal way of dealing with an alarm, like set my alarm, now, it's, now I get up. He would set it an hour, two hours before he had to get up, why would he do that? To hit the snooze button. Who does this? He just wants to hit the snooze button while well, he has a roommate too. That, so anyways, that, that's just, that's not really my illustration. I just had to vent on that. <laughs> he would also, he, he just wanted to get his sleep. And so he would go to bed dressed, ready for the next day. Is that a normal thing? Is that normal? Dressed, ready to go. Like, Okay, off to class I go. Ready to go. Shoes. He was just ready to go to class and he wanted to maximize the sleep time. Yeah, now you're feeling what I was saying. Yeah. 
here's what, here's what Paul is saying. You have to be ready to proclaim peace. Like you are ready to go. Peace. Peace. That's the message that we're, we're delivering. Peace. It's interesting that the word peace is in this passage because all this passage is is war. It's battle. It's noise. It's terror. It's destruction. It says you deliver the message of peace. It's that moment when your kids are playing together. Like it's quiet. You're like, where are the kids? They're playing together. They're not killing each other. They're happy. That moment of peace. Because if we're honest, we realize that our lives aren't peaceful. We're going to have a series starting next week that's all about brokenness. And it's, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that we don't live in peace. We don't have peace. We don't experience a lot of peace in our relationships or within ourselves. It's that with our world, like we live in chaos. And things are broken and messed up. And so Paul is saying, be ready to proclaim peace. He, he is referring back to Isaiah 52. And I love this little, this little passage. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion. Does anybody know? Your God reigns. That's the message. Like he's saying, Paul is telling us to do battle. Be ready to say this. Your God reigns. In a world that is chaotic. In a world that is experiencing the opposite of peace. Be ready to share the gospel of peace. Which is what the gospel is. We talked about it in Ephesians. That the gospel breaks down the hostility between people. The Jews and the Gentiles. And he brings peace within ourselves, with our relationships, with God. That's what peace is. That we weren't righteous, but we were given righteousness. We have peace with our relationship with God. And he's saying, be ready to talk about peace. But what's interesting is, is that the, the armor here isn't peace. Right? It's, that's not the armor isn't the, the peace, the shoes of peace. The armor is, the way that we're fighting Satan is by being ready to talk with somebody else about peace which is so interesting to me. Because this is connecting to how we do counseling and how we do psychology today. If somebody's depressed, what you're trying to help someone do, you're trying to help them understand and to cope with, handle these negative feelings that are coming into your life in healthy ways. How can I cope in healthy ways? What's a healthy way of dealing with this sadness and this chaos in my life? And what's a way that I can deal with it in a positive way? And one of the ways you help someone is you teach them how to, to cope positively. One of the things that you can do to cope with depression is to do something for somebody else. Like get out of your little world and go help someone. Go do something for somebody else. And it's the same principle here. He's saying, don't just sit and wait for Satan to come and to discourage you and upset you, get up and go tell someone about the peace of Christ. Get out of the church walls. Get out of everything. You, you, we, we just surround ourselves in this building, and, he's, and that's good. But he's saying, you will fight Satan when you start doing something with your faith. You want to experience the peace of God the strength that God gives us in fighting the evil one, 
Go share with someone about the peace of Christ. Go, go talk to someone. Have a conversation with a neighbor or somebody you work with. What happens is when we start doing something with our faith and not just listening to it and hearing, like just input all the time, we start outputting. What happens is, is we grow stronger in our fight. And he's saying, be ready to share the gospel of peace. It will help you as you fight the evil one. The last couple of ones here. In all circumstances, verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith, this big shield and not a little round shield. This is a door, the size of a door. They would hold up these massive shields that were soaking wet with animal skin so that these these burning arrows would be snuffed out the moment they hit the shield. And he's saying, here's what faith is. Faith is acting as if what God is telling you is true. Acting as if God is telling you the truth. And so faith is saying, I believe what God's told me. I believe who God has told me. I am in Christ. I believe in what God has told me about righteousness. I believe what he's told me about peace. I believe what he's told me about sin and my life and his direction is better than anything else I could. We believe it. And faith is saying, I'm going to live and act on this. And Satan wants us to not have faith, to not believe these things. These darts that he's throwing at us, these situations, a hard circumstance. You say God's good? Well, why are you experiencing this right now, this death in your life? Like, why are you feeling this right now? Like, he's just bombarding us with these these circumstances and these thoughts that say, what you say you believe is not true. That's what he's telling us. Here's what Paul is saying. Hold your faith closely. Believe what he's told us. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. We are to take and protect our minds with the truth of salvation. Again, it starts to kind of repeat itself. This is the same thing over and over again. He's saying, what Christ has done for you in the past, you are forever forgiven in everything you do. You have a perfect relationship with the Father. Right? It, is, you, it can't be broken. Protect your mind with the truth of salvation, that he has saved you. What Satan wants to do is cause you to doubt your salvation. Like, do you really know the moment that you were saved? Oh, you can't remember the moment. The hour. Oh, maybe, maybe you're not. Or you did that? You did that? You thought that? Like, are you really saved? He wants us to doubt that we've been saved. And then lastly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We don't just fight Satan by saying no. No, 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 no. I don't, no, no, I don't believe that. that that's not a good strategy. We, we fight Satan with God's truth, just like Jesus taught him. Right? When he rebuked him, he said, let me tell you the truth. He quoted God's Word. Here's what he's telling us. We fight against temptation and the evil one by knowing Scripture and reminding ourselves of what is truth. Because we are quick to believe other things. And so we know passages that speak truth about our righteousness, about our salvation, about our life. And we fight Satan, not by just saying no, but by saying this is the truth and I know it and I stand on it. 
And for us, as we, there's more here. He says, everything is clothed in prayer. We do fight, we battle on our knees. Saying, we need your help, God. We need your help. And for us, it is a beautiful way to close this book. We are in a battle. But Christ has done everything for us. Stand, put on the armor, trust what he's done, and we will see the evil one run. Let's pray. Father, what a powerful passage about what your son has done for us. May we never forget the battle has been won. Your son has done it all, and we just need to stand in it. God, as we reflect on our lives, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict us where we need to be convicted. If there is someone in here this morning who says, you know, I'm not right with God. I haven't put my faith in this person who's acted on my behalf. God, I pray that you would move them to take a step towards you in saying, I believe this, I need this, I want this. And God, for us who are walking with you, God, I pray that we would do an honest evaluation of how we're living in righteousness and purity and integrity. God, that we would not leave any openings for the evil one to come up against us and to stop us from this plan, this beautiful plan that you have for us. And God, may we ultimately be ready to share peace with a world that is desperately looking for it. Open our eyes to the people around us that we would see those who need the story, the gospel of peace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.